In this week's episode, we talk about the playful path. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Svee. Here's your host, Svee Hilsenrath. And welcome back to Thoughtful Mind with Svee. I'm your host, Svee Hilsenrath. I want to take a moment to thank the city of Egg Harbor Township. That's this week's Gratitude City, so thank you to all our listeners in Egg Harbor Township. This week I want to talk about the work of Bernie DeCoven. I met Bernie while I was living and practicing in Israel, uh, working in a clinic at the Jerusalem Narrative Therapy Institute. And his daughter-in-law, and his daughter-in-law was a fellow clinician at JNTI. Bernie gave two workshops there based on his life work, of playfulness and fun and fun therapy. And afterward, I had the opportunity to have coffee with Bernie and discuss ways to implement his ideas in various settings, whether it's working within uh, religious schools or within therapy. And when I started this podcast and wrote down a list of my dream interviews, Bernie was high on my list. Unfortunately, when I started researching how to get in contact with him, I found out that he had passed away in 2018. This podcast is dedicated in his memory. This podcast is based both on my remembrances of the time I spent with Bernie in the workshops and when we got together for coffee, as well as his book, The Playful Path. If you like what I speak about today, I want to say that Bernie has a lot more thinking on this topic. So you can go to his website, which there'll be a link to in the show notes. Uh, and he has a lot more writing and thinking uh, on everything we have to speak about and a lot more. I really the hard part of today's episode, as is so often the case, is cutting out stuff that I wanted to include, but just for time's sake and for clarity's sake, I could not. So I want to start where Bernie started in his workshops. And Bernie started with and based a lot of his ideas on the thinking of Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, who's a, a Hungarian-American psychologist, uh, who explored the idea of flow and flow being the complete absorption of yourself and of the self into whatever you're currently experiencing, specifically when it comes to something like work. Jake Smahai talks about a graph, and if you could imagine that the, the bottom axis is your skill level and the top axis is the challenge level, we're fully engaged when we're faced with a, a task that is challenging, and we have enough skill and enough belief in that skill to know that even though this task or this uh, work thing or event or or this episode in my life is challenging. It's something that I'll be able to face and conquer. But while I'm doing it, it is difficult and challenging. And when that happens, we experience flow. We we feel alive. If you've ever felt while you're doing something fully alive and, and, and your whole body is engaged and you're really clicking and you feel like your potential is unlocked, and, and you're maximizing everything because you're operating fully at your full capacity. And there's a sense of satisfaction and happiness and flow that happens at that moment. And if you think back to those moments, you'll realize it's when you're being challenged, but you're also confident that you will pass that challenge. If you're in a task that's not challenging enough, you're going to feel bored. And if you're in a task that you don't have the skill set for, or you don't have belief in your skill set for, you're going to feel overwhelmed. So you don't want to feel bored and you don't want to feel overwhelmed. You want to be in that middle where you're challenged, but you're able to overcome. And even today, I was speaking with a client who's faced with an overwhelming situation and stressors. And we were talking about times in her life 
when she was working at that maximum capacity and how to bring that energy into her situation now. She was telling me about how the job that she had, where everything was chaos and it was always one crisis after another, but she felt so alive while doing it because she was meeting those challenges with her skills. And Bernie expanded on this idea to include playfulness. And and by that, he seems to mean an approach to life that's attempting to bring a sense of fun and full, maximized living to every moment, where every moment you're feeling like you're operating at full capacity, and where you feel connected to the moment, where you feel alive and open to the moment, vulnerable, not in a sense of vulnerable, weak, but vulnerable, strong, meaning you're completely open to what's going on in the situation and in your life at that moment. Playfulness includes a kind of twinkle in the eye, a kind of happiness and and zest for life. Bernie describes this as a path that you walk, a playful path. And he emphasizes that this is not a separate path from the other paths in your life. So we have the path of work, we have the path of parenting, we have the path of relationships, we have the path of hobbies, and we have the path of religion, we have the path of community, and all these different paths that we have that we walk along our life. And Bernie stresses that these paths are not separate paths from the playful path, but rather the playful path is a way of making all of life's paths playful. It's a way of living. He spoke about bringing fun into your life. By fun, he meant connecting to the moment of really enjoying what's going on. An attitude towards life, a way of walking through life, trying to make each experience fulfilling and joyful, taking life serious, but not necessarily somber. And Bernie describes this as a challenge, the sense of playfulness and fun, that it's something to be worked at, that because playfulness means opening ourselves fully to the world and making ourselves vulnerable in a sense that we're opening ourselves up to the moment, it it can be intimidating. We've learned over the course of our life that it's easier to close ourselves off. It's safer to close ourselves off. When we close ourselves off for the moment, we can't be hurt because we're not open. And yet, when we close ourselves off, we stop the world from coming in. We stop the blessing of the world from coming in. And we stop the world from experiencing the blessing of ourselves. I remember hearing a very wise man speak once, and he said that he never crosses his arms. You know, never crosses one over the other. He said when he crosses his arms, he's blocking God from coming into his life. And that struck me so strongly. He's blocking the blessing of God from coming into his life and coming into him. And I, I, since then, I've been very conscious about never crossing my arms. And he's absolutely correct. Just not doing that has really opened up my own life. And I met him a year after hearing that. And I said to him, you know, you've changed my life. And he said to me, since then, he's had a new thought. Not only when you cross your arms, do you stop the blessing of God of coming into your own life, coming into you, but you block your own blessing from coming out into the world. And it's so true. And that's what Bernie's talking about. Bernie explains that walking the playful path, it's not creating something new in our lives. It's more of an uncovering, tapping into something that's already there. He, he talks about the experience of childhood. Before we learned to be afraid and before we learned to close ourselves off from the world to be safe, we were more open and tapping into that sense of wonder and playfulness. And he acknowledges that it's hard to do because we live in a very goal and task-oriented world, which is good. 
And it's good that we've learned how to focus on tasks. And it's good that we've learned how to be goal-oriented because that's important. That's, that's needed too. But he also stresses having time in your life where there is no goal. You're just playing just to experience. And he talks about the value of just playing and experimenting in your life and in your work without a specific goal in mind, seeing where that leads. In his book, he says, so when I talk and write about a playful path, I'm neither talking nor writing about how we can or should become playful because we already are, or how we can become more playful because our playfulness is immeasurable. Later on, he says, playfulness isn't really an achievement, it's a gift. Let me say that again. Playfulness isn't an achievement, it's a gift. And that gift comes to those who choose to receive it. And throughout his book, Bernie describes scenarios of daily living where he brings an extra level of joy and fun and embracing humanity of playfulness into his life. He talks about greeting strangers playfully. Not silly necessarily, but greeting with a sense of joy and fun. He talks about sitting with his wife and watching leaves in a playful manner watching how they dance as they fall, about being playful when we spend time with family, about being playful in the time we spend with ourselves and being kind and having joy. And he does mention in the book that there's times when being playful, which requires some willingness to experiment and do things out of the norm, do things in an unusual way. It's it's not appropriate. He gives the example of a surgeon. He says, sure, there's always room for jokes and music and kidding around, except when there's not. But he talks about how the playful path has no guardrails. You don't have to jump off a guardrail to get off of it and then jump back on to get back on. You wander off the path. The path stays there and you can wander off and wander on with no difficulty. And one of the difficulties in describing Bernie's ideas is that in a way they're vague and theoretical and and very playfully written, which is, I think, kind of what he was going for. But also his ideas are experiential because... Everyone that I've spoken to over the years about these ideas has moments in their life where they've experienced exactly this. Even the hardest, cruelest life has moments of fun and playfulness, moments when you feel alive. And tapping into those moments, once you tap into that feeling that Bernie's talking about, you understand exactly what he means. Once you understand that type of feeling, you can begin to bring it into your life in other areas. I do think it's important to point out that Bernie also says that demanding from ourselves to be playful can be counterproductive the same way that demanding from ourselves to be happy can be counterproductive. When we force ourselves to be happy, or in this case, when we force ourselves to be playful, it kind of takes us out of the experience. He suggests that you speak to yourself and ask yourself, let me know when I'm having fun, even shallow fun, even basic fun. And the more you open yourself up to fun, the more you open yourself up to happiness and playfulness. And when it comes to fun, fun can come from many areas, but a good Kickstarter for fun is games, which we'll get to in a minute. He also talks about a sense of humor, how having a sense of humor helps in playfulness. And he says in his book, that sense of humor is more interesting to me than humor itself, more than jokes and comedy skits. It's a way of perceiving the world. A way of keeping ourselves and each other sane, human, open, responsive, playful. A way of connecting, of recognizing each other. And when I read that, I think of my grandfather, uh, to whom I felt very close. And he had an amazing sense of humor. And he wasn't the world's best joke teller. He had just a sense of him. 
of looking at the world in that certain way. He loved hearing jokes and he loved to smile and laugh. There was just a sense of humor about him that really shaped who he was and how he saw the world. When it comes to playfulness, when you play with others, when you have that sense of playfulness as part of a duo or as part of a group, when your fun and their fun join and flow together, it raises both people's experience. It raises the entire group's experience more than you would be capable of alone. Bernie told a great story about how he had a games farm where he had a big barn and he had every game in existence in it. And he would bring uh, different groups there, inner city kids, I believe, and other people, adults. And he had a ping pong table there. And he had a friend who was a championship level ping pong player. And this friend said to Bernie, you know, let's play ping pong together. And Bernie said, well, I don't know how to play. So the guy said, don't worry, you'll be fine. And they started playing, but it turns out that Bernie was really bad at ping pong. And so his friend said, okay, you just stand there, hold your paddle still, and I'm going to hit it. And he went and Bernie held his paddle still and they started this volley. And it went on and on and on for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I believe it went on for a half hour. This guy just hitting the ball and Bernie just standing there. One continuous ping pong volley. And Bernie said it was almost a religious experience to be not only witnessing somebody with that level of mastery playing, but to be involved in it. He said it was almost a religious experience that he felt God in the room in that moment. Because when you join with others in their playfulness and in your playfulness, when that sense of flow goes back and forth between the two of you, it raises both of you up. Bernie describes ways of bringing playfulness into our lives in his book, and, and the first one he describes is gratitude and appreciation. He calls them gateways to playfulness. And if you want to know more about gratitude, check out episode two, uh, link in the show notes, where we talk all about gratitude and how important it is. Bernie also talks about games, and he distinguished between games where the goal is to beat the other person, to win, where there's a lot of rules, and games where you work together toward a common goal, even if there's a technical winner. So he doesn't diminish the fun and enjoyment of those first group of games where with the rules and the goal is one winner, but he does talk about the importance of working on games together, of working toward the common goal together, again, even if there's a technical winner. Uh, one example he gives is Bananagrams, uh, which is a game that many people love and people play competitively. But I've seen in my own family, uh, I'm not a big Bananagrams person, but I've seen in my own family that, you know, two people sitting down and trading pieces and just being happy that everyone gets to finish their Bananagram or word thing, just being happy to be spending time together playing together. And I'm going to describe a few games to start with, but there's many games out there. So the first game I want to describe is one that Bernie came up with when he was working with inner city youth, just trying to teach them the joy of, of life. It's called the toilet paper tug of war. And he, he liked using toilet paper. He said it's a vaguely naughty prop. And he said that makes it a little more fun and playful, especially for kids, opens them up a little bit more. What he did was he took a, a roll of toilet paper and ripped off about three feet, about a yard's worth, gave one end to one kid, one end to the other, and said, now you're going to have a tug of war. And the rules are one person has to win and one person has to lose, but the toilet paper can't rip. And so now there's this back and forth between the two kids 
and they're playing together. And the goal is not who's going to win or who's going to lose. The goal becomes, can we have one person win, one person lose without ripping the toilet paper, without ripping this thing connecting us? And then when Bernie continued in his work and started working with adults, he found this to be an extremely satisfying uh, game, especially for couples. In his book, he talks about how this idea of the two people with the, the paper that can easily rip is simulating the dynamic of human relationships, especially couples. Because in every relationship, there's only so much tension a relationship can take before it breaks. And it's the responsibility of both people to keep that from happening. And also the health of the relationship comes before anyone quote unquote winning. And in fact, winning can destroy a relationship. Even recently, I was talking to a woman in a nursing home and she's miserable and so unhappy with her roommate. And I said to her, why don't you just change rooms? And she said, well, I can't let her win. So this woman is living in misery because she doesn't want her roommate to win, whatever winning means. And that's a relationship in, in a nursing home. Roommates in, in a room are, are a real relationship. The next couple of games I'm going to describe are games that I experienced firsthand in Bernie's workshop. Uh, the first one's called the Blessing Game, and a different variation is called the It's Not So Bad Game. The Blessing Game works like this. You can do, either do it as a couple or as a group, and you're working together to top each other's blessings. So one person starts, and then the next person tries to top it. And I'll read you the short script that he has in his book. He says, a round of blessing might go like this. You say, may the fruits of your labors never spoil. And I say, amen. And may they all be delicious. You say, amen. And may they always be ripe. And I say, amen. May they always be available in your local supermarket. You say, on sale. And what's beautiful about this game and other similar games is you know when they're over. There's a natural ending point. Nobody has to say it's over. Nobody's won. You just know it's done. And usually it's done because everyone just bursts out laughing. And at the end of it, there's this shared feeling of togetherness. When we did this at uh, the Jerusalem Narrative Therapy Institute, we did a couple of rounds of this. And there was just such a sense of camaraderie of everyone working together to try to top each other, but at the same time, hoping that the next person comes up with something great. You don't want it to end, but when it does end, it feels so good. And it's very important that nobody's trying to win here. I've played this game with people that try to win. And they just try to go for the biggest blessing possible instead of taking it slowly. They just want to get to the, the end quickly. And they miss the point. It's not fun. You're not trying to win. You're trying to work together toward a common goal. A similar game, as I said, is the it's not so bad game. So in a rotten situation, you find one thing that's not so bad. And you continue to find smaller and smaller things that's not so bad. So you go out to eat and the food is terrible. But you know what? This tablecloth is not so bad. And the waiter's shoes were not so bad. These salt shakers are not so bad. And you find these little things, and again, you build on each one. And you know when it's over, just because you know. Another game that we played at the Jerusalem Narrative Therapy Institute workshop was the Kvetch Kakafani. A Kvetch, for those that don't speak Yiddish, is a complaint in Yiddish. And the, the game goes like this. Everyone stands in a semicircle, like a choir, and there's one person that stands at the beginning, a conductor. And everyone starts to sing or chant their complaints and... You can complain about whatever you want, whether it's something serious or whether it's something silly. And in the beginning, 
Everyone uses the same tune, but then as it goes on, everyone just goes to whatever tune feels right in the moment. And it starts to get really out of control and silly and fun. And the conductor stands and he directs or she directs. And sometimes you direct a solo and sometimes you do a duet or sometimes just one section of the choir, sometimes another, sometimes everybody together. Sometimes everyone's complaining low volume, sometimes loud. And again, this is a game that just has an ending that just happens. You just know when it's over. Like I said, I experienced both these games in person when Bernie guest lectured at the Jerusalem Narrative Therapy Institute. And I can say from experience, these games are transformative for a group. There really is a sense of togetherness and almost shared spirituality when it's done correctly. Now, a couple of days after Bernie's workshops, I met with him for coffee um, at my request. And I'm going to read to you, he wrote a blog post about it. He wrote a long blog post about the entire experience of being in Israel and meeting with everybody. I'm just going to read you the part where he wrote about our meeting. And he says, The next day, a young man who had been at the session asked to meet with me to talk more about what he had learned from my presentation. We met. He bought me a coffee, my standard consultation fee. Side note, I still remember what he drank. I remember the cup he drank it in. I remember I had Coke from a glass bottle. And after a while, we got around to how he might use the Kvetch Cacophony experience, we decided not to call it a game, with one of his clients. After some excited probing, it became clear that we were thinking of two completely different kinds of experiences. He was thinking that his client would be a one-person cacophony and he would be the therapist carefully listening. I was assuming that it took at least two a cacophony to make. He was concerned that if he, the therapist, joined in, he would lose control, contaminating his client's stories with his, blurring the boundaries of what he understood as a therapeutic relationship. I was concerned that if he didn't play two, that he'd miss the opportunity for healing that the game presented, would be instead separating embarrassing for both of them. I imagined myself as the client singing my complaining heart out, improvisationally, atonally, I imagined him having to witness this. I was surprised at the distance between his assumptions and mine. I found myself thinking about the powerfully therapeutic relationships created by master players who can transform a game like ping pong into an encounter with the all one, or a game of catch into a moment of shared loving healing peace. And I couldn't understand how he could not have understood. Near the end of our conversation, I discovered that he had, in fact, come to understand, but needed to, as he explained, put a lot of thought and experimentation into the combining of our two ideals. He goes on, I have been thinking a lot about how to introduce these play techniques to get to the therapeutic value of master play, without the client feeling that his or her problems are being trivialized. I have a feeling that once I'm able to figure out a way to approach these subjects, I will be able to play, pun intended, with the format and still cover both of our points of view. I am eager to learn what he creates out of these experiments. And to all of you listening, you kind of have. I truly wish I could have spoken to Bernie before he had died and let him know what I learned from him. Because I look back and I'm amazed at the person I was, and in a way uptight and concerned with doing things quote-unquote the right way, and I, I kind of missed the point. I was afraid about getting vulnerable with clients, not in the sense of sharing with them, but in fully joining. These years later, when I've worked on myself as a person, and, and more importantly as a therapist, and become more comfortable in the therapy role, I have playful moments with clients all the time. There's definitely a sense of humor in the sessions, even when we're talking about serious things, again, we treat things seriously, but not somberly. That doesn't mean there's always 
jokes. It doesn't mean there's always a sense of humor. There's some really sad stuff in joining too. But there's a sense of joining that Bernie talks about when he talks about flow and playfulness. One moment that I think is really a, a very Bernie DeCoven moment is um, sometimes I'll cheerlead with my clients. Like when they do, they do something that's really worth pointing out and worth celebrating and accomplishing. We'll cheerlead. Like if the guy's name is Frank, give me an F, give me an R, give me an A, etc. Go Frank, go Frank, do the whole thing. It sounds almost silly, but it's so powerful and validating for people. People feel really amazing afterwards. When used in the right moment, people appreciate that sense of humor and playfulness because it takes them out of that overwhelming feeling that problems put them in. It takes them out of the control of the problem for a minute. It breaks that and brings playfulness and and fun and happiness back into their lives, even for a minute. But that minute can be very powerful. And of course, it always has to be done in a respectful manner. It's not something I would do with somebody on the first session, but once we've gotten to know each other and they understand that I'm always there for them, a moment like that, a moment of humor and playfulness can be extremely powerful. I want to thank everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with three other people directly, especially this one and the last episode about Lonely Man of Faith. These things, I believe, are very important ideas that really more people need to know about. I'm not asking you to share for my own benefit, but because I think these things need to be out there in the world. This episode was my best understanding of some of Bernie's ideas. Uh, Like I mentioned before, his writing style is kind of vague and playful, which I think he has on purpose. And it makes it so much more enjoyable. It makes it so much more Bernie. But out of respect to Bernie and his family, I do want to say if I misunderstood any of his teachings, the blame is mine. This podcast is the way I've been thinking about his ideas for many years, often subconsciously. When I started writing about his ideas in preparation for this podcast, I realized how deeply the short time I spent with him influenced me and influenced my work and my life. If you want to reach out to me, I'd love to hear from you either through email, thoughtfulmindpodcast at gmail.com. You can go to the website, thoughtfulmindpodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail at our Phone number 732-523-0061. And until next time, go out, believe in yourself.